Now we're going to head into talking about the foundational Bible studies. And tonight we're going to be talking about God has a plan. Now, before we, we jump into this, I want to make a couple things. We, we as the teaching ministry want to talk about a few things that this series is not. So the first, this is not a how to study the Bible with someone series uh, that we are, are somehow uh, focused on just the practical of like, okay, here's the nuts and bolts. Here's exactly how you should uh, ask the question. Here's how you should follow up with certain, certain issues or, or problems. But that instead, we are focusing on each of our own understanding of these studies uh, so that we can use them with more flexibility, with have greater context, and that we feel more prepared uh, when people have questions or ideas uh, that we can really stand firm as like, hey, this is the truth. This is what I'm holding on to. This is how I can teach from these scriptures. And two, this is not a everything wrong with the Bible study series. We, we certainly recognize that because they were created by humans, uh, there are imperfections. There are pieces of it that maybe is not the best way to get from point A to point B in certain, certain regards. But we are not a group of critics that are trying to rip apart everything the church has done when all of our salvation has come from it. When the fact that we, we have seen God work and been taught to us and we have grasped onto his, his word and have faith because of what we were taught. And so we want to continue to share with people from that. And so we will honor what we have, but we're going to build upon it. We're not trying to, to rip it apart and, and bring about something new. So instead, again, we want to give additional context for greater ability to teach someone using these studies. And we want people to feel comfortable with more flexibility and how, how to best go through the content to absolutely care for the person that is studying and their unique starting point. People come in from a wide variety of, of backgrounds, different ideas, different, different um, concerns. It's important that we see each person as an individual uh, and figure out how to best use the scriptures to help them and not just try to cookie cutter. Well, this is this, we have to talk about this first. And then finally, we do want to address some potential pitfalls uh, that when there are certain questions, if you ask it with a, a condescending tone, there are certain pieces that if we if we approach it from a place of pride, we can cause more damage in someone's faith than building them up. And so we're going to address some of those, those things along the way as well. Now, one thing I'd like to also address before we get started is when we, when we look at our own culture and compare it to that of the ancient Near East, they are not the same. It is very, very different in, in a variety of, of ways. And that alone isn't bad. It's not like, oh, well, we're, we're wrong and they're right, or the alternative. Instead, we see that God uses his word to reach people in all times, in all places, in all stations. But with that regard, we want to make sure that we are, we are understanding how our own individualistic culture may shift our perspective of the Bible and how we teach it. So as you know, we historically kick off the studies with the seeker study. And honestly, there, there's a lot of reasons why this works very well. 
It, it helps give someone a charge. It makes them feel empowered that their reaction to the scriptures matter, that how they choose to, to interact with God is going to set the course of their life. But unfortunately, it can also sometimes give people too much of a focus on the self and make it too much about this idea of our own personal walk with God at the expense of God's incredible narrative and God's entire plan for humanity. Now, the defense against this is, is actually, it's right in the scriptures that we cover in the Seeking Study, right? Uh, not as if he needed anything from our human hands, but if we, if we don't approach it properly, that piece can be missed entirely, and it becomes all about you, all about this person that's being, being studied with. And we, we want to be careful because, honestly, God's plan is bigger than any one of us individually. His love for the world, for creation, matters a ton. And if we make it all about us and our own story and our personal walk with God, we miss some of the beautiful things that God is doing over millennia, over, over generations. Uh, but when instead we start by looking at God's overall plan, when we look about what he's doing in the world, when we look about what he has been doing from the dawn of time in creation, uh, throughout the Israelite history, throughout bringing about Jesus and all the promises, and then how it gets passed on through the church and future promises, that narrative arc is something that is far more inspiring, revolutionary, and life-changing than our own personal transformation. And so please don't, don't hear me incorrectly. I'm not saying that our own personal transformation doesn't matter. And the ways that that builds up our faith and the way that, that it challenges our, our perspective of the world around us, like all of that is really good and solid. And even though it is good and solid and part of our faith, it lacks in comparison to the overall picture of what God is doing. And so one option, uh, and this is something that we did in St. Louis for, for many years, and I find myself that, that whenever I kick off studies with someone else, is that instead of starting with a seeker study, I instead start with a God has a plan study. And instead, look at God's overall plan for the world and cement all of the following studies, including a study about the person as a seeker, into this idea that God is at work throughout all creation. So we're going to look at that study tonight. But again, I want to be clear that what the teaching ministry is, is aiming to do with these with the series is not to cement in some exact procedure of what you are supposed to do, but instead give a, a, a plethora of options of how to approach the scriptures and how to see someone clearly and understand how you can hook them into God's story. So one other concept in that same regard, uh, and this, you know, this word gets thrown around a lot when writing about kind of the modern evangelical Christian landscape um, of the world, is this idea of being seeker focused, right? This idea of even as I kind of was talking about, like, hey, looking at someone and trying to figure out, well, like, how can we make this the best possible experience when they first show up to church? How can we make it that they feel comfortable and, and protected here? And, and again, there's pieces of that that are that are good. And if we look at Jesus's example, like, oh, my goodness, time in and time again, he was meeting people where they were 
and offering them this incredible invitation uh, to be to be part of what God's work was, to, to follow after him, to be part of what he was doing in the world. But we also see that every time he offers these incredible invitations, it is always matched with this incredible challenge that he's looking at people and he is setting the bar higher of what it means to live a transformed life, of being willing to address the fact that we, we have fallen short of the glory of God and being willing to care enough about God that we would let people into our lives, that we would be changed, that we would allow Jesus's grace to utterly transform us. And so again, historically, our own fear of leaning too much into the incredible invitation side, because that's what we see around us, because that's what we understand in the concept of praying Jesus into your heart. We historically have leaned much more heavily into the challenge piece of it, and much more use the studies as a, a okay, well, have you passed this bar? We cannot proceed until you pass this bar. Have you passed this bar? Have you given this up yet? Have you, have you done this thing yet? And on the flip side of things, missed some of the grace and invitation part. But just like Jesus, we must offer complete grace and complete truth. Something that is not easy, that is not simple, that does not just like come naturally, but Jesus did it. And as we continue to lay our hearts before God, we can do it too. So with all that being said, we're going to look at again, this, this other study, this idea that we would look at, okay, God has a plan and we're going to go from there. So the study begins, God has an incredible plan for this world. And it is consistent throughout the entire Bible. When we look at the beginning, when we look at sin and the problems that are introduced, when we look at how that interacted with his chosen people, when we look at how Jesus came and brought about a new solution, when we look at the church and its functioning within the world, and when we look at the end promises of all things, it is clear that God has an incredible plan for this world. And this study helps center and cement all of the studies on God and his plan, again, as opposed to just the, the individual seeker. So let's get started right at the beginning. Let's look at creation. We're going to look at God forming the world and bestowing his purpose and design upon humanity. Let's start in Genesis 1, 1 through 6. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. When there was evening, there was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. And so right here at the beginning, we see God forming creation from this, this formless void. 
Uh, we might call it nothing, uh, you know, over the waters. It's like this idea of just uh, that which is chaotic and has absolutely no meaning. God takes from it and turns it into meaning. He is able to take chaotic things and give them order. He is able to take that which has no purpose and give it purpose. He is able to name and create and declare things out of nothingness. Then God turns a little bit later on in Genesis 1. God says, let us make man in our, own, in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock of the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And continuing a little bit further in Genesis 2, verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in, Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so we see God first, he kind of sets the boundaries of existence. He, he puts the expanses of the sky, he separates light and darkness, he creates time, he creates space, and he creates life. Uh, and he, he puts the human in this life, he, he kind of draws out from this nothing and breathes his spirit into it and creates us with this expectation that we're going to be these co-creators along with God. He, he gives us purpose, right? That we're going to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, that we would somehow take on this world around us, this own chaotic thing that, that we brought. And, and from this little garden of eating, go out and expand to the, the entire shape of the earth. Uh, that we bring about his order, his justice, his love to, to all creation. He, he bestows upon these humans this purpose. And this is a really important thing. He gives them value, even though they are they are insignificant, tiny, pure, pure nothing compared to him. He gives them great responsibility and great honor. Continuing Genesis 2, 15 through 17, the Lord took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day, you will you eat from it. You will certainly die. And so after, after giving the humans shape, form, after giving them purpose, that they would be co-creators along with God, that they, would, that they would care for and subdue the earth, he then offers them one prohibition. And what's, what's wild is that he's already given them endless provision. Things both that they understand and do not yet understand. He's give the, given them the, the lack of death. He's given them immortality, and they don't even know. They don't even realize what the alternative is. He's given them a, a world that is flourishing, uh, that produces all good things, that they have everything that they need. 
And within this world of complete provision, he also gives one rule, one provision, but not this. And, you know, it's, it's interesting here because for God to be able to, to have them as co-creators, he needed to give them free will. He needed that they would have the ability to choose, that they would, they would be able to actually rule over the earth. Um, and so, so he, he takes what we would think of as a bet or a gamble, even though it wasn't for God, but he offers them both this great responsibility and the freedom to reject that responsibility. And so then turning over to Genesis 3, we have the curse and continued provision. Now, I'm not going to, to read through all of Genesis 3 right now, uh, but I think in, in a study setting, it is great to do so and, and I think necessary to see what happens when humanity rejects the, the one rule that they got and instead that they would choose their own way and seek their own knowledge and seek their own understanding and their own way of doing things. Because as soon as they, they go out on that free will that they said, well, we don't need to be under God's authority. We can do it our own way. Then death, shame, grief appear from, from nothing in this, this perfect flourishing world. All of this stuff comes rushing in. But one of the most beautiful moments in, in Genesis 3 is that despite this rejection of God, despite the fact that humanity here has, has chosen to step out of his authority and to go their own way, God sees their shame and offers them clothing. He cares for them as his children and takes care of them and blesses them despite their foolishness, despite their, their rebellion, despite our own lack of understanding of what God is trying to do and our propensity to go our own way, God still sees them clearly and loves them and offers them blessing. And in that blessing, he also simultaneously a little bit earlier offers them a promise uh, that this interaction with the serpent, like that he will, will strike your head that someday something is coming that's going to be able to destroy the serpent, representing sin, representing the, the choice to not follow God, that there's something that will allow this to be stamped out of the earth. And so in the study, you go through Genesis 3, you witness kind of the worst case scenario of the free will that was offered and then rejected. You see death, shame, and grief appear but you also see promise and provision. You see this idea that God is still taking care of his people and he's still pointing to a future uh, where they will be cared for and they will, they will have the opportunity to choose him. And so from there, we go into the blessing section. So let's go over to Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And at this point in the study, like there's so many places where you can go 
into the Old Testament to show these stories of continued cycle where for a moment people follow after God and they find peace, they find his blessing, and their hearts then grow cold, that they get distracted, that they get swayed by their own desires and their own, their own propensity to sin to the point that they actually reject God that they follow after other idols and they follow after other things and they bring in false gods into their lives and it leads to turmoil. It brings about chaos. It brings about disorder. It brings about hatred and strife. It, it brings them to a place where there is injustice, that people are not cared for, that, that these, this idea that his chosen people would be a blessing to all is completely corrupted that they themselves are hurting one another and hurting those around them. And so then within that turmoil, something that happens that they remember God, that they remember his commandments. He sends in his prophets. He sends about, sends in revelations. He sends in uh, people that are willing to stand firm in the faith and say, no, we will not go this way that there is a better option that we can return to what God has done. And we can return to this blessing that was given to Abraham, this promise that was said, all the people of earth will be blessed through you, that they he will make them into a great nation. And so we see this happening throughout the Old Testament where the, the, the people are essentially stuck in this loop where it's like, will they, will they not? Are they going to, are they going to follow after God? Well, they will for a little bit and then they won't. And then they will for a little bit and then they won't. And it sets the stage that there is something greater coming. You can turn to the, the promises in Isaiah uh, or any of the number of other prophets and, and take a look that God throughout all of this is continuing to try to anchor his people in this fact that like there is more to come, that there is still a, a blessing, that there still is going to be a way that people can be forgiven and stand before with God and again, return to this plan of co-creation with him. And so then right in the beginning of the New Testament, we see in Matthew 1.1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And the reason that Matthew starts in this way is because the, the author wanted to make it abundantly clear that Jesus was in this direct line of how God was going to use Abram, Abraham and his family to bless the whole earth, that all peoples could have an opportunity to know God and be blessed through this. And it's important to note that Jesus was not somehow plan B. He was not like the, oh, the people have gone astray, so now let's, let's bring in reinforcements. God is outside of time. He made us. He knows us. He understood the choices that we would make when we were given free will. He absolutely understood that, that people would choose their own destiny outside of his authority. And so he, he had a plan, and right there with him in the, in the heavens was Jesus, with the understanding that Jesus was going to come back to teach God's way perfectly, to show people that despite their human flaws, that despite their lack of understanding of God, God's plan, that they still would be able to learn how to care for others, needs more than their own, that they would be able to, to put others before themselves, that they would be able to take on everything inside of the Sermon of the Mount 
and give people that offering uh, to be part of God's plan and his blessing. So Jesus was not plan B. Um, he was he was in that line of blessing. So now let's turn over to John 3, 16. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, you, you guys know, we have sometimes strayed from the, strip, the scripture and not highlighted and reinforced it because of it, the love for it in the evangelical world. I, I think it's vital that we look at the scripture. John 3, 16, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Again, God's plan was not to condemn the world, but to save it. And we continually see both in the, the Old Testament scriptures and his dealings with the Israelite people, as well as his, how he brought about Jesus and even how he cares for the church today, that he is apt to delay to give people the opportunity to make the choice to reject their own desires and instead turn to him. He continually, time after time, holds back the destruction that is due, the, the, the cleanup of chaos, if you will, to instead allow people to make that choice and to come into contact with others who have made the choice to follow after him and to be part of his, his, his grand kingdom. And so now kind of understanding that, all right, well, Jesus, Jesus came here to save the world. Uh, there is this idea of, well, like, where do we go from that now? And, and that is passing it on. And so let's start in 1 Corinthians 15. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to scriptures. This is the most important message that he wanted to get to them. And, and you, know, you know you know, the scripture, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, and these things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. God has this idea and plan and expectation that those that are going to come into contact with Jesus's message are going to make the choice to live in that way, to make the choice to lay down their own, their own life and instead uphold, uphold his, and that they then are going to teach others that same message. And that is how he's working to reconcile the world. That is how he is, he is going and taking broken chaos that we brought about on ourselves and lifting us out of it by way of person, teaching person, showing them his glory, showing them his love, showing them that there is an alternative, that we do not have to exist in turmoil and strife, and that even though there still is pain and sin and, and horrific things in this world, we can live with a view of the future, with a view of what God is doing, with a view, a view of his promise to return to us, with a view of that he expects us to, to live in unity with him and live thereafter because of him. And 
that because we're able to see that clearly, we're able to see what Jesus came, did, said, and promised, that we then are able to share that with others and live a completely transformed life that is filled with peace, that is filled with, with compassion, that is filled with a, a quiet timidity, uh, that is filled with a willingness to stand against injustice, that is willing to stand against uh, the nonsense of this world to instead uphold God's version of what it should be. And so let's continue in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. We are part of those that get to share Jesus's incredible alternative to sin and pain. That despite the fact that there still is death and grief in this world, we get to share with them that there is a way that we can live with our eyes focused instead on the, the world that God intended for us. And so, again, this idea that, that Jesus came to show us the way and show us that there is a better future and that to show us that, again, even though things are not perfect here, we are bringing about this reconciling of the, reconciliation of the earth and that every conversation, every time we open up God's word with someone, every time we pray, every time that we fellowship with one another, every time that we take communion, every time that we worship, every time that we, we give generously, every time that we look at others and care about their needs and we visit orphans and widows in their distress, that, that all of that is changing and transforming this world, that all of that is, is giving hope to the world. And we look throughout human history, and although it, it may be easy to look around at the world and think that it is horrific and that it is, it is being destroyed and that people are worse than they've ever been, but the reality is what God has done through Christians throughout time, you do not have modern philanthropy without it. You do not have the modern education system without it. You do not have the modern healthcare system without it. You do not have all of these ways that God is lifting people out of poverty and pain and turmoil. Uh, you do not have the modern legal system without it. Like you, you don't have none of this without the work of Christians dying to themselves and instead living thereafter where, where God is done. But obviously where we are so far is nowhere to where God intends. He, he intends that all men would be saved and that all men would have the opportunity to, to choose him. And although we do recognize and understand that not everyone will make that choice, and that again, until God's ultimate promises are played out, there still will be sin and turmoil in this world, it's amazing that we are getting to work on building this new, better place that God has designed and reaching all the way back to the, the earliest scriptures in the garden, that was always his plan, that we would participate in, with him, that we would get to look at the world around us and say, you know what? 
this would be this would be better. Let us flourish in this way. Let us care for people in this way. That's that's always been the plan. And so then we turn to the future coming. So let's go to Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. You can, you can again refer back to some of the prophecies in Isaiah that's even pulled out in this scripture. God's plan is consistent. God's plan has been the same the whole time. He has always desired that there would be this mountain where his people can come and be in unity and live together in peace and harmony and, and a new heaven and a new earth. And, and this is amazing. This is what we're working towards. This is what we, why we choose to lay down our own desires in this world and grab onto God's instead, because his plan for how humanity could be is infinitely better than anything that we see around us. There is no social change. There is no political structure. There is no education. There is nothing in this world that is going to get us from here to God's promises unless we're willing to lay down our own devices and, and turn our weapons to, to plowshares and do it God's way. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so we see the story ending right where it began, but with such a critical difference. The people that God now has with him have chosen him over everything else. They've, they've tasted what their own devices have to offer, and they said, we are not choosing that. We're going to try to do this God's way instead. And so you have this incredible, incredible piece that's brought about the earth, new heaven and a new earth, where, where grief is wiped away, where pain is wiped away, and death itself is destroyed, and God will live with his people into eternity. And so there you have it, a, a very quick and simple view 
of God's narrative from the start of the Bible right to the end. There's one consistent plan that he has created humanity to, to live in relation with him and to participate in creating something amazing, this incredible world. God's plan is, is perfect. And although we might see it as having twists and turns and ups and downs, for God, it is a clear path from A to B. It was a clear path to send his son into the world that they might know what it is to, to, to live in, in honor and in relation to God. So a couple of closing questions you might want to share with someone at this point. How would you describe God's plan for humanity? And now that we've looked at God's plan for the world, do you want to know that God? And, and those are our two questions that, again, as you continue through the rest of the studies, you're going to be able to continue to re-cement in that God is, is shaping this world and that they get to be a part of it. And then participating in it is greater than anything else they can do in their life is greater than any idea, plan, hope that, that any of us could have, that instead we would be part of this ministry of reconciliation, showing people God's love, his grace, and his plan. So I hope, I hope that was helpful. Um, again, you'll probably notice that I specifically was not covering a bunch of theological concepts. I was trying to focus just on the storyline, that there are tons of details left out, um, but that it's an effective summary of what God is doing from the beginning until the end.